I get to preach a service here today, and I'm really excited for that. And for those of you that don't know me, my name is Pastor Chris. I'm the Connections Pastor here at the church, and uh, I've been here for about, for about two years. And today, what I want to talk to you guys about is the body of Christ. Now, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you may have heard that phrase before. But like I said, I've, I've been a pastor for about two years now. And before that, I actually worked in physical therapy for about eight and a half years. And then before that, I have a degree from the University of Maryland in neurology and physiology because I was planning on going to medical school until God called me in a different direction. But I always look back and I say, God, what were you doing? <laughs> like, why, why do I have this degree? Why would I go in this direction? And, and he's, he's been very specific with me. I mean, my, my life motto is to encourage and edify. And, and what I want to do is I want to encourage and build up the body of Christ. That's what I've been called to. And I see the body of Christ as a moving, functional body. And I want to see it healthy. I want to see it grow. I want to see the body of Christ become all that it can be. All that it can be. Now, the reason why I got into medicine and those kinds of things is because as I grew up, I was so interested in the human body. I'm going to throw some stats at you. And maybe this is just my nerdiness, but I love the human body. It's absolutely astronomical. You know, for me to look at you right now, there's about 107 million photoreceptor cells in my one eye. It's taking in, watching you breathe and, and huff at my jokes and everything. You know, it's taking all that in and beginning to register and go through my optic nerve to my visual cortex. And all of a sudden, I have this incredible picture. I mean, the body is just absolutely incredible. For you right now, right now, every single second, a chemical reaction is happening. No. 37,000 billion billion chemical reactions are happening in your body right now, in a second. That to me is astronomical. If you don't believe in miracles, you are a walking miracle. You're incredible. The fact that you're breathing right now, the fact that you're living right now, that all those chemical reactions aren't going awry is just nuts. The way that God has created us that way. Now here's another incredible thing. We have DNA in each and every one of our cells. It's the basis for who we are, it's what makes you unique, is your DNA. Now, if you take one, one of the DNA out of your cell, one little cell in your body, and you stretch it out, it gets to be about, I'm six foot one, it's about six feet tall. If you stretch out all the DNA in one cell, but you have over 30 trillion cells in your body, if you put them end to end and laid them all the way out, it would travel a distance of 34 billion miles. You have 34 billion miles of DNA in your body. Like I said, I'm a nerd. I love this stuff. It's so incredible. I mean, your body is absolutely incredible. To give you just a, a clue into how big that is, on September 5th, 1977, Voyager 1 was sent out into space, okay? And it shot out into space. It's still moving now, about 41 years later. And it's moving at 38,000 miles per hour, a little over that, actually. So it travels about 1 million miles a day. A million miles a day, that's traveling. That's awesome. But from 1977 until now, it has traveled, as of today, 13.5 billion miles. Wow. 2025, they think that it'll run out of gas. And when it does run out of gas, it will have traveled 16 billion miles from Earth. That's not even half the distance of the DNA in your body. We're incredible. We're incredible, but what I believe is that the body of Christ is the same way. I believe the body of Christ is just as incredible as our human bodies. I mean, why else would God put it in his word and describe that we are the body of Christ? 
In 1 Corinthians 12, and that's where you can turn to in your Bibles because we're going to kind of camp out there. 1 Corinthians 12, 27 says this. Now you are the body of Christ, speaking to the believers in, in Corinth. And each one of you is a part of it. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles and gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Basically, he's saying that all of us that are believing and put our faith in Jesus Christ, we're all part of the body of Christ, and we are all important. We're all important. We all have incredible specialized giftings, and we all have a, a certain part to play. And, and I, would, I would say that you are. You are very important. But here's a counseling session even for myself that I have to check my spirit and say, sometimes we focus so much on the gifting and you're calling like, God, where am I supposed to be? What am I? Like, what have you created me? Am I part of the hand? Am I part of the foot? Am I the photoreceptor in the eyeball? You know, like, what am I? We focus so much, and I can do that unintentionally too, because honestly, I get so excited when I see somebody begin to fulfill their purpose in the body of Christ. When I see somebody begin to, to function in the body and just watch it begin to move, it's like the light comes on, like, this is what I was made for. I love that moment. But sometimes we're so focused on that moment that we forget that in each and every one of us, there's a DNA. There's a DNA in each and every one of us. He goes on from there to talk about 1 Corinthians 13 is called the love chapter. If you've uh, ever been to a wedding, even if you didn't read the Bible, you've heard the love chapter. Love is patient. Love is kind. And he begins to go through and describe what love is, which is so awesome. But what he does, and this is the verse I want to camp out in, 1 Corinthians 13, 13. It's almost like he takes all these things, and, and it's not even an exhaustive list of all the specialized things in the body of Christ, but he hones it all in to one statement. And it's this. And now these three remain. Faith. Hope and love, but the greatest of these is love. This statement is the DNA of every Christian anatomy. This is the DNA of every single one of us. I, I don't care what your special ability is, these three remain. And now some scholars think the fact that it says remain, it means forever, like all the way into eternity that we'll, we'll have faith, hope, and love even through eternity. You know, the gifts won't be necessary anymore because we'll be with God. <laughs> We won't need all those things, but, but these three will remain. And so these are the DNA of every Christ-filled believer. Amen. But I want, I want to pick this apart here today for a minute. But how many people have ever seen the show, The Magic School Bus? Anybody? Yeah, yeah, I grew up with that. I love The Magic School Bus. If you haven't seen it, that's okay, because basically the, the school class always takes a trip in The Magic School Bus. When they get into the bus... It either shrinks down and gets into somewhere where you couldn't go or it gets big and flies off into space and they take these incredible field trips. But one of the, one of the episodes, they flew into Ralphie's ear and went through his body. And I love that because that's what I'm going to do with us today. We're just going to literally get on the magic school bus. We're going to fly through the body and take a look at these three things. But the first one that I want to, I'm going to switch up the order and you'll see why. The first one I want to talk about is hope. Hope. So if we're getting on that bus and we're flying in and get to the very core of it, we get to our bones. Hope is like our bone structure. Hope is not optimism. 
Optimism is psychological. Hope is theological. Hope talks about our theology. I mean, that's, that's what's strong. And, and for those of you that don't have a theology, I mean, we need a bone structure. I used to think that that was just for the scholars and that's just for people who, who have like crazy head knowledge. No, every single one of us need to have hope. Every single one of us need to have a theology in life. It's absolutely important when we talk, think about hope. Hope in scripture is always talked about like something solid. Hope as an anchor, steadfast. It says hold fast to. It says endurance inspired by hope. It always talks about something absolutely solid. So principles, principles don't change, but they have to be consistent, just like bone. It has to be truth. Trust demands something solid. If you want something to hope in, it better be solid. When my, uh, when my mom had gotten sick, she had gone to the doctor, and, and the doctor had found that there was a, a lump in her left uh, lung. And so he kind of beat around the bush for a while, and then he told us that it's probably just a fungal infection. And so we didn't think much of it, and so then she started getting treated. But there came a point where she had to go to the emergency room because she had so much back pain. She was in such pain. She went into the emergency room. Three weeks later, she passed away from lung cancer. You know, I really struggled with trusting doctors. You know, he hadn't told me the truth. There was one PA, a physician's assistant, though, who was at the hospital who said, you know, Chris, it was about four days before my mom passed away. He said, you're going to have to make a decision today. You and your sister have to make a decision. She's she's dying. She, she's not going to live. And, and we need to make her comfortable now. Man, it, it hit my chest like a wave, like a, it was like my soul just crushed apart. But I was happy that for once somebody actually took the truth and told me the truth because I needed to deal with it. That, that's why your hope and, your, and the truth is so vitally important. I mean, there will be occasions where it'll be a lot easier to not be truthful. There'll be occasions where uh, it'll be more convenient to, to not be totally truthful but either it's rigid and solid like bone or it's worthless. It's not something that we can trust in. You know, here's the problem though. Sometimes we become so dogmatic about certain situations that, that we major on the minors and we minor on the majors, right? Actually, Mark Twain once said that, he's like, it's not the, it's not the scriptures I don't understand that bother me. It's the scriptures I do understand that bother me. Let me give you an example. Like in Genesis, Genesis chapter one. We hear about creation, right? God spoke the world into existence, existence, and then one by one, day by day, he begins in seven days to create the world that we now know and ourselves. Now, some Bible scholars would say, yeah, that's a literal seven days. That's a 24-hour period. And some would say, no, that, that word yom in the Hebrew, it actually means eons. It actually means millions of years. And I'll be honest, I don't know. <laughs> and neither do you. I wasn't there. But my hope doesn't lie in seven days. My hope lies in the God that spoke the world into existence. And sometimes we become so dogmatic that it's almost like a house of cards. If we pull one thing out, then the whole thing falls apart. And I believe this to be the truth of God's word. I believe that this is who God is and who he says he is to us. It's God's revelation to us. So my hope doesn't lie in those seven days. It's in the God of those seven days. I, uh, I, I used to I shadow a general surgeon for about a year, 
And there was a case study that we had. And it was a woman who, she had a cancerous tumor that actually grew out of the backside of her calf muscle. It actually got, came out of the skin. And, and oh my gosh, it was, it was gross. I'll be honest, <laughs> it was pretty gross. And I'm good with that kind of stuff. But I said to the doctor, I said, I cannot even believe this right now. How does this happen? How does somebody get to the point where, where that happens? And he just said, she didn't want to deal with the truth. She didn't want to deal with the truth. Our sin is that way. You know, sometimes we just don't want to deal with the fact that it says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us have a cancer, but there, there's hope. This book is not a book of a list of sins. It's the answer to sin. This book is powerful. There is so much truth in this word. And in 1 Peter, it actually says that, that we should have a reason. We should always be prepared to give a reason for the hope that we have. You know the reasons? Right here. <laughs> There's over 7,000 promises in the, in the book of God, in this Bible. 7,000 promises that you can put your hope in, that you can stand firm in. And maybe you've yet to actually dig into your theology and decide what you really believe. Don't do it because... I'm saying something from the platform. Do it for yourself. We all need to have a hope that we personally believe in. Some of us have grown up in a certain circumstance or maybe at a certain church or whatever. You know, when I decided to become a pastor, I studied and I wanted to decide where do I want to pastor from? What do I really believe in? What is my theology? And as the Assemblies of God, we have 16 fundamental truths and multiple position papers. But one, one statement is the backbone. In 1 Corinthians 15, just a page a page over, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3. This is of utmost importance. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the Twelve. And then it goes on to say that he appeared to over 500 people. That's the backbone of our hope. That is the backbone of our hope. That's what we need to be totally solid in. And you know, if we didn't have a solid structure, if we didn't have something solid to stand on, we'd just be like earthworms, like cr crawling across the ground or like slugs. But these guidelines and these principles aren't for us to be held back. Sometimes we think of hardness like bone, and that sounds kind of harsh, Chris. Well, I, I set guidelines on my daughter because I want her to go in the best direction for her life. Our Heavenly Father does the same thing. He wants us to have a, a full life. There's a theologian, G.K. Chesterton, he said this, the more I considered Christianity, the more I found that while it had established a rule and order, the chief aim of that order was to give room for good things to run wild. I love that. That's what this does for us. When you dig into your hope, and, and some of you, maybe you grew up in the church, maybe you've been far from God for a while, you're like the bones in Ezekiel. Ezekiel 37, the Spirit of the Lord actually takes Ezekiel out into this valley of dry bones, and he's looking out on all these bones, and there's one statement in Ezekiel 37, verse 11. He's looking around, he's like, what are all these bones? Then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They say our bones are dried up, and our hope is gone. We are cut off. Some of you are that way with your hope or your theology, that, that it's dried up, that it feels old. And they were looking at this like, like a bunch of laws. 
And uh, they're like, our hope's gone. We're in a foreign land now. We're, he said, no, your hope is still intact. But here's what he told Ezekiel to do. Then he said to me in verse 4, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Theology is just a bunch of words without the Spirit of God breathed into it. It's just a bunch of words. You need the Holy Spirit to reveal to you truth. When you open the Bible, you better pray, Holy Spirit, reveal to me your word. That's the only way that it sinks in. And some of you sit here today and, and your hope is gone or, or it's, it's starting to dry up. And I want to breathe this. I want to prophesy as Ezekiel did. That I will breathe in you. And I will bring new life from those dry bones. And, and your hope can be restored today in Jesus' name. I, I believe that can happen for you. But if we take our magic school bus for a second and we go from the skeleton, right? Like our bone structure is our hope. If we go from that skeleton, we move out to the, to the muscles, right? The muscles. The muscles are our faith. The muscles are our faith. Now, hope and faith are really closely tied to each other, as are our muscles to our bones, because without muscles, our bones would be a pile of nothing. And without, uh, without hope, then we have no structure. We have nothing to move. But it says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, now faith is the confidence in what we hope for and the assurance about what we do not see. Faith is confidence in our hope. It's like our muscles, they have to be attached somewhere or else they're no good. Your muscle needs to attach itself to the bone. And then what happens is the promises that are far off, there's two sides to faith. There's faith in and there's faith for. It's the same way with our bones or in our muscles. There's faith in our bone and then there's, there's faith for something. And then it begins, our faith brings those hopes closer to us. As I said, there's over 7,000 promises and faith is believing for those promises, even when we can't see them yet. But if, if faith is like a muscle, Martin Luther King Jr. said, faith is taking the first step even when you don't see the whole staircase. Amen. I... I remember the day that my daughter Eden, that she walked for the very first time. It was awesome. And I was concerned I was going to miss it because I was traveling so much for work. And we rode over to a friend's house and, and she got over to this couch and she started like slipping her way up onto the couch, you know, and then she's standing up and she's going back and forth. But then she caught sight of one of her toys. Right. She saw her toy was over there. And so she did one of these numbers. She's holding on to the couch. Then she tried this, tried this direction, right? And I watched her as she began to think about it. She stepped out, looked at the couch, finally let go, started walking. And what does a parent do? Yes! Woo! You know, we're jumping up and down like crazy, scared her half to death, and she fell down. But, but that's what happens in heaven when you put your faith in Jesus. Your father and all the angels up in heaven are like, yes, yes, that's my boy. That's my girl. That's what happens when you put your faith in Jesus. But then faith without works is dead faith. See, the problem is our muscles can atrophy if we don't use them. And our faith is much the same. 
In James, he says that faith without works is dead faith. Faith without works is dead. Now, it's not the works that save you. It's faith in our hope that saves us. We need to be attached. But after that, if that's through faith, it should have works. It should be moving. It should be active. In James 2.19, he says, You believe there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that. And shudder. That's an interesting thought, isn't it? Yeah. Even the demons know there is a God. But have you put your faith in him? Was not your father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made perfect by what he did. Faith without works is dead. Now our muscle fibers, they actually work like an on and off switch. It either works or it doesn't. It's not like, like it partially works and then it partially doesn't, it partially, but our faith is the same way. Not to do something is basically to decide. Am I gonna move by faith or not? It's, it's a one or another. It's, it's not like partially, maybe I'll kind of move by faith. Like, are you going to move by faith or not? That's how, that's how our faith works. It's much in the same. You know, Paul used athletics a lot of times when he was talking about, about faith. And he, he said about running, boxing, wrestling. But athletes, they have to train their bodies. They have to train their bodies toward dependable uh, actions. I get it all the time. 911 calls. 911 calls and all of a sudden somebody's trying to muster up some kind of faith that they never built up. You know, I'm not, I don't like to bring this up very often, but, but church attendance. So how many people we got? No, it's, it's no, but you got to put yourself in an atmosphere to build faith. This is like the gym class. This is the gym right here. This is where we come to build our faith. Life groups are where we go to build our faith. Prayer meetings on Wednesday nights. That's where we go to build our faith. It's like us working out that faith muscle for dependable Dependable actions. You know, I get those 911 calls and they're like, Chris, like this is suddenly happening in my life. And I'm like, well, I wish you were here. Like we could have been working on this together. We could have been building this faith together. And that becomes really hard. It's almost like me going to run a marathon right now and a few too many steak dinners to make that happen, right? You know, Jesus said that we should have, even faith as a mustard seed can move a mountain. He said, you can say to this mountain, be moved, and it will be moved. A mustard seed is about one millimeter, maybe two millimeters, right? He doesn't want you to keep a faith that small. Imagine the faith in a pumpkin seed. Forget the mountains. You can move the world with that kind of faith. That's the kind of faith I want. That's the kind of faith that, that I love. I'll do this. I did this for the youth, so I'll do it for you too. <coughs> So let's say a lot of us say, I want to see God move. I want to see God do something incredible. So God, I'm going to put this ball up in the air. I'm going to put that ball up in the air. I'm going to start reading the word of God. I'm going to start stewarding my resources, right? And then we expect that, okay, God is going to do something awesome and incredible. And then he does. And all of a sudden it's like wild and crazy and God does something cool. But the thing is, what if my hand was never moving to catch what he was bringing? Be like this. Maybe I started reading my Bible, but I never had enough faith to move. 
Then again, I want to see God do something incredible. Nothing happens. We're asking God why. It's because you never moved. I was trying, but you never actually moved by faith to actually do something about it. And that's how God is in our circumstances. I mean, we, we try those 911 calls and we want him to do something awesome and incredible, but we've never actually put anything up in the air or moved to catch what he's putting down. That's how awesome our God is, though. I, I would love to see faith like a watermelon seed, right? Just to see what, what God could do with that. I've seen some, some faithful people in this church. I think of Larry and Jolene, who were here in the first service. Connie, who spoke at the women's group yesterday and was dealing with cancer. I mean, these people, Ted, who came up and hugged me at the end, he was late because of daylight savings time. <laughs> Sorry, Ted. Um, but these people are, are steadfast in their faith. And they've seen mountains move. But they've been faithful. They've been faithful to serve and to do what God has called them to do. They, they're not there trying to throw up the 911 call. All of a sudden you need God when it's in the worst scenario. That's not how it works. But the one I want to take the longest time on here, I want to talk to you about the last one, which is love. So we're on our magic school bus and we're flying through the body, right? We, were, we started with our hope and our theology. That that's that's the, the bone structure. That's, the DNA, that's part of that DNA that I was talking about. Faith, hope, and love. So hope was that bone structure. Then we moved out to the muscles, right? Muscles is our faith. We begin to move by faith, and it's faith in and faith for. And we begin to bring the promises of God closer to us. But the last one it says is love. The greatest of these is love. Love is like our skin. Love is like our, our sensory organs because Love is like that handshake that you got when you came in the door today. It's warm, it's sensitive. Love is like that hot tear that comes out of your eye and begins to drop down your cheek that you can feel. Love is, love is like that hug that you got today. That's what love is. Now when it says love, the greatest of these is love, we like to think about that as like the most important, right? The most important. Actually, the Hebrew word, or the Greek word there is megos, which actually has been translated other areas in Scripture as the loudest. The loudest. Some translate it as the most external or the appearance. So love is like the most external thing. The loudest thing that people should see in our lives is our love. You know, Jesus said to his disciples in John 13, 35, he said, by this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. That's how the whole world is going to know you're my disciples. That's it. Surprisingly, he didn't say, this is how everybody's going to know you're my disciples, by your hope. There's a lot of people that have hope in other areas, right? By this, everyone will know you're my disciples by your faith. No, that's not what he said. They're going to know. There's going to be tangible evidence that you're my disciple because you will have love. You will have love. I just, I think about even our events, you know, our outreaches. We're about to have our Easter outreach. And last year we had over 800 people on this property. I mean, praise God, it's so awesome. And, but I had to think about it. As people come on this property and leave, they're not going, that church loved me. 
because I've got a whole bunch of candy and a couple baskets, right? They're not saying that. That church really loves this community uh, because they gave out free hot dogs to everybody. They really are doing the work, aren't they? No, when they leave here, they say that church loves me because that one volunteer was willing to do this. That one volunteer smiled at me. That one volunteer gave, gave me a hug this morning as you came into the church. Somebody greeted you with a handshake or a hug. That's how people feel our love. See, what we've unintentionally done, though, as a church is sometimes we, we have like this exoskeleton on us, right? We, we wear our skeletons on the outside and, and we tell everybody our theology and, and, and here, here's the hope. Here's what you should believe, right? And then unintentionally, we make this exoskeleton like a crayfish. You know what a crayfish has to do whenever it grows? It actually goes through this really uncomfortable, painful process of molting. It has to get rid of the harsh exterior. But then what it, what it does as it grows, then it has to put on another one. And that's what we've done in the church. Is we, We've hit everybody with our theology, right? We've hit everybody with what we believe. And then, oh, but we've, we've made this Christian bubble. Like you can't come in unless you believe this. That's how, this, that's how this works. But then people wonder why the church isn't growing. People wonder why, why the church isn't having new people come and people getting saved and, and baptized. And it's because unintentionally we've put up these boundaries. We've put up these walls that people have to begin to fit to belong. You see, here we believe you belong. Then you believe. Then you behave. You know, rules are, are, are functional. They're important. They're guidelines and everything, but they're meant to be worn on the inside. So people, when they, when, they when they get a touch with the Christian community, the first thing they feel is the warmth, the sensitivity, the love, the, the meeting of their needs. And then as they begin to get in, they begin to see that, that structure and that framework that's behind that love and where that comes from. That's what we're called to as the people of God. And and, you know, sometimes we wear it almost as a, a level of superiority. But we're called to be the sensitive skin to the world. I always wondered with Jesus, I, maybe I watched too many superhero movies, but I always thought, why, why did Jesus, went, didn't he just come down like a lightning bolt, right? And hit and then have a staff and go like this, wham, you know, slam it on the ground and 15 miles out, everybody gets saved, delivered and healed. Why didn't God just do that? That wasn't his plan, you know, and I, I can't prove this, okay? So like I said, you take this as it is. This is my opinion, okay? Love happens one-on-one. -on -one. Love happens one-on-one. -on -one. Why, do, why do I say that? Because of all those reasons I just told you, like love happens when you touch somebody. Jesus' miracles, they all happened when somebody came in to his presence. That's when his miracles happened. You know, I went through all of his miracles and I thought to myself, you know, all of them, it seems like he touches everybody. It seems like everybody like touches his garment or, or, or he's actually there in, in his presence. The only two times that, that that happened, one time is when he feeds the multitudes. But let's be honest, he didn't feed the multitudes. He blessed it, then he handed it to his disciples who handed it to this person, who handed it to this person. Then what about the guy who, who came up and his son was healed of a fever somewhere else in, in the book of John? Well, the, the dad comes 
And he speaks to him. He says, I have faith. I have faith. And he says, well, if, if you have faith, then it's done. And he had that direct contact with the father and the fever left the boy and he was alive. But there was always that direct contact. Always that direct contact. There's a, there's a parable, uh, the starfish parable, if you've ever heard of this. Um, there's an old man who's walking along the seashore, and uh, there's a, thousands, thousands of starfish that are all across the beach line. But the problem is the tide's going out, so all of them are drying up and dying. And he sees one lone little boy there, and the little boy's taking the starfish. He's looking at him and just chucking them into the water, saving them, you know, one by one. And the old man walks up to him, and, and he says, there are thousands, there are thousands of starfish here. And only one of you, what difference can you make? What difference can you make? Little boy picks up another starfish and looks at it. He chucks it into the water and he says, it made a difference to that one. That, that's the kind of love that we're called to. I mean, it feels right now like there are so many needs. I feel that way sometimes being a connections pastor of the church. Like there are so many needs in this community. Like how are we ever going to fit, fit those needs? But the one that's in front of you, is the one you should be loving. It's a neighbor. It's a relative. It's somebody who just has a need that you can reach out and that you can touch. Jesus reached out a hand. He touched the eyes of the blind, the legs of the cripple, the skin of the person with leprosy. That blows my mind. You know, when Jesus finished the Beatitudes, uh, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the very first thing he did after preaching like his inaugural sermon like, this is the most incredible sermon you will ever hear. He comes down off the mountainside, and here's the very first thing that happens in Matthew chapter 8. When Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out a hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately, he was cleansed of his leprosy. Not only does this blow my mind because he just comes down off of, off of preaching the most incredible sermon ever, and the very first thing that he does is he touches a man with leprosy. Leprosy, even according to biblical standards, they were supposed to walk around shouting, unclean, unclean, unclean. And they were supposed to stay away from everybody in, in a totally different area because it was taboo, no one should touch them. And then if anybody does touch them, they're considered unclean. But that's Jesus's first response. The leprosy is actually the oldest recorded disease in history. It's called Hansen's disease. There was a man named Dr. Paul Brand. He was an orthopedic surgeon. He lived from 1914 to 2003. He was an orthopedic surgeon that did a lot of his work in India on leprosy. And he found this discovery. This was Dr. Paul Brand in the 1900s. He found this discovery, that they had missing toes and fingers. They had blindness, ulcers, facial deformities. It all stemmed from the inability to feel pain. That's where leprosy comes from. So if I, if, I, if I hit my hand right now and got a cut, I had no, I'd have no idea. Then it would get infected, and all of a sudden, maybe I'd lose a finger. I'd lose a toe. People with diabetic neuropathy... And know that feeling because it's very closely related. A lot of his work actually came into that situation. I see some people smiling because they have some loved ones who are affected by that. 
Well, Dr. Paul Brand has actually done some of the incredible legwork to make that happen. What's interesting, though, is when he grew up, he grew up in the mountains of India with his father, who was a missionary. And the very first recollection he has of contacting, of seeing somebody with leprosy is when he was seven years old. They lived on this mountain road, so people would come up the dirt path, and his father was a doctor. So people would come out up that dirt path all the time, and his dad would go out and he would treat them, and, and it would be good. But one day, he sees three men coming up the road, and something's different about these guys. The one's hobbling, the one's hobbling and, and, and has uh, bloody bandages. One of them's missing fingers. One of them has, has a facial deformity. And, you know, the normal thing for, for the kids was to run out and to greet these people with the dad. And, and so Paul begins to run out and his mom yells, no, no, get back in the house. Grab your sister. Get your dad. Go upstairs. Stay away from them. And so he runs upstairs and, and he's watching from, from the window and he sees his dad step out. Normally his dad would reach out and touch them and his dad just stood like this. These three men came up and they bowed before him, as was their culture. And his normal response was, I'm not the one you should be worshiping. Get up. It's, it's, it's our one true God that you should worship. And normally he would reach out and, and lift them up off of their knees. And, but this time he didn't. And Paul's like scared. He's watching from the window this transpire. And, and the dad says, I'm sorry, there's nothing I can do for you. There's nothing I can do for you. But he does. He puts on surgical gloves and, and he begins to wrap their feet. But he's never seen him put on surgical gloves to do something like this. So the mom comes out with a fruit basket and sets the fruit basket down next to them and then walks, like backs up and walks away. So these men, they take the fruit from the basket, but they left the basket. So Paul sees this and he runs downstairs and he runs out to the basket. And again, his mom, no, 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 don't touch that. Don't go anywhere near where they were at. Get, get back in the house. And he watches as his father takes the gloves and he grabs the basket and he puts everything in the burn pile and burns it all. Then they burned the area where those people were at. And they take the, even though they didn't touch them or get anywhere near them, the, his sister and Paul, they bathe them in the tub. And that, that's his first experience seeing somebody with leprosy. Well, he goes on. He goes on to actually go to medical school in London and, and really feels the call that, that he's being called to be a missionary. And he, he wanted nothing to do with India. I mean, he was already there. He, he grew up that way. But he does. He goes back and, and he's talking with another physician. And he's in an area where they keep the lepers on the outside. Now, at least at this point, they have some skin doctors that are trying to treat them with no luck. But people won't touch them. People won't touch them. Suddenly, he sees one man trying to put on his shoe, his sandal. With a, with a club hand, and he's struggling to put it on. There's this twinge in his heart, and he, he breaks off from talking to the doctor, and he goes over to this man. The man stands up, and he says, let me see your hands. So the man puts his hands out, and Paul touches his hands and looks at him in the face. And the man's just elated that, that somebody would actually show up and, and, and touch him. So Paul says this, this, this doctor, he says, squeeze my hands. Go ahead and squeeze my hands. And he's expecting like some weak squeeze. But the guy squeezes so hard that he shouts out in pain. But he looks up in the guy's eyes and, and he realizes that he can't feel this. He has no idea that, that, he, that there's pain that's coursing through Paul and through himself. 
He actually ends up writing this about that experience. I felt a tingling as if the whole universe was revolving around me. I knew I had arrived in the right place where I was supposed to be. That single incident in 1947 changed my life. I knew from that instant my calling, as sure as the cells in your body know your function. It was that love. He would go on to treat thousands of people and do some of the most incredible work with people with leprosy. I mean, now today there still are leper colonies out there and, and it is still an issue for some people, but now it's so well treated that it's not, there's not a cure per se, but, but people can be treated for this. All because one man was willing to reach out and touch. One man, his, his friend and colleague said this of him at his funeral. From his work, many thousands of individual lives have been transformed and enriched. It wasn't just the surgical techniques that Paul worked on. It was the people. I have often watched him as he engaged with patients, assessing their disabilities and deciding what would best meet their needs. I noticed that he never concentrated solely on the hand or foot. He held so gently and intimately. He looked at the patient's face. He looked him in the eyes. Paul was concerned for the individuals, their personalities, and acknowledging their value in common humanity. You know, that's incredible work for somebody who just reached out and loved. But my concern is that as a church, there are many of us who have contracted spiritual leprosy. Amen. We're not able to sense somebody's pain. We're not able to sense the needs of the people around us. We're so comfortable in our shell that, that we can't feel the pain of those that are suffering around us. Our love is absolutely necessary. It should be the first response. It's the greatest. It's the loudest. I want you to, to increase your faith. I want you to have a solid hope. But without love, it's all banging a gong. Right? It's just incredible, though, how how God has put that DNA in each and every one of us. And some of us have, fo have focused so much on one and not the other. Some of us have so focused so much on our theology that we've lost our, our sense of touch. We've lost our sense of hope. Some of us have, have been so focused on hugging everybody, but then we don't even know what we believe. <laughs> we have no idea why we're doing what we're doing. Some of us have, have not been working out our faith. Some of us need to take that step today. Some of us need to actually step out. Some of us just need to put our faith in the hope. The hope of Christ Jesus. What he's done for us. You know, talk about love. He felt our pain. He was on the cross. Bleeding and battered and dying. And yet he, he could turn to the person to his right and say, Today you will be with me in paradise. He saved a man in that moment from eternal damnation to eternal light with that kind of love. The man didn't have a chance to figure out his theology. That man had no chance except for one little shot of faith to plug in that muscle to that hope which sat on that cross. That's the DNA that should be in each and every one of us. And I'd ask you these three questions. You should take a, an assessment of your spiritual body today. 
Take an assessment of these three areas of your life. Number one, how solid is your hope? How solid is your hope? Maybe you need to dig into your theology and say, what do I really believe? Don't believe it because I'm saying it. Believe it for yourself. And the second question, how strong is your faith? Have you been working out your faith or is it atrophy? Is there something that God has wanted, I feel in my spirit, is there something that God wants you to step out in that you have not stepped yet? Maybe you're like my daughter where you've been going like this. <laughs> you've been reaching out like this, but you need to let go and trust the structure of the hope that you have. But the last question is, how sensitive is your love? How sensitive is your love? What can you do to meet somebody's need this week? There is somebody that, that has a need. It's too much for us all to do something, but like, just like that young man throwing those starfish back in, do something. Help somebody. Step out and, and do something. In 1 Thessalonians, it actually talks about those three things that, that, that work, we work with our faith. It talks about a labor of love. Our love should cause us to be laboring for people and enduring, inspiring by hope. I want to pray for you this morning. Would you bow your heads here? And I just want you to just pick one of those three things to focus on today. We can't do it all. Sometimes it's great to get a ton of information and that's awesome. But we can only take one step at a time. What's your one step? How solid is your hope? How strong is your faith? How sensitive is your love? Father, right now, I just speak by your spirit to your people. And I would ask, Lord, that, that this message wouldn't be just a bunch of words, just a bunch of head knowledge. That sounds good. But God, activate our hearts. God, we want to be fully functioning people for your kingdom. Show us, Lord, the area that we're lacking. Show us, God, the place that we haven't strengthened. God, I pray for those who are looking uh, to love. I pray, Lord, that you would fill them with a fresh compassion today to see the needs of people all around them and to feel the pain that's coursing because you did for us, Lord. So God, we, we choose right now, Lord, to put our hope in you. We trust, we Right now, God, we put our faith in that hope confidently. And Lord, we thank you for the love that you've expressed for us on the cross. That we have this moment here today to say, Jesus, I love you. Jesus, we love you. It's all about you. It's all about what you've done for us. And we thank you, Lord, that even as I pray now, you are seated at the right hand of the Father and you are intercessing for us. You see our needs and you're praying for us. But we thank you, Lord, for the empowerment of your Holy Spirit to carry that, to carry it out of this place today. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Go ahead and stand with me here this morning. And as we come.